Well, good morning. On this rather, I don't know, it looks like it kind of cleared up. I'm glad. Uh, I know that Crossroads had a lot of stuff outside today, and I'm glad that they have the ability to worship outside and not have to worry about rain. Boy, was it a beautiful day yesterday, huh? Chamber of Commerce weather. Beck and I got a chance to go out and uh, do some bike riding yesterday and just kept, just kept saying how absolutely beautiful it was. And we're coming into that time of year that uh, we, we really missed when we lived in Hong Kong. We didn't have really a change of seasons. It was always the same thing over and over. But we're coming up into that beautiful time where uh, it is just going to be gorgeous in the next month and a half. I know what comes after. I know what comes after. But uh, it is nice to see the beauty of the trees. When I was, uh, as we finish out today our series on, on the armor, I was thinking back to in several of the pastorates I've been in, I've had the, have the privilege of serving uh, as law enforcement chaplain. I was with uh, one law enforcement uh, in, in California and then a sheriff's office in Minnesota and a sheriff's office in Montana. And one of the things that came away from with those guys was they were always preparing whether they were at the, at, at the shooting range preparing and learning how to shoot their weapons, or whether they were, i give you how long ago this was, um, one of the places that I, that I served at, they brought in a semi, and they had, the trailer was, uh, was a driving simulator. And the officers all had to go through that. Every year they had to be able to pass the driving simulator. In one of the churches, we were very close to, uh, tra well, Travis Air Force Base was very close to the church, and the police department used the, used the air base, and they had what was called a fax machine. It was a simulator where they would simulate different things. And this was back on a compact disc, you know, one of those video discs that's about this big. But they could change out the scenarios, and they would time the officers on how well they were prepared. It seems like they were always preparing, and they were always getting ready. And one of the things that always amazed me was uh, when, when we got dressed for duty... Uh, one of my one of the guys in my church who was my elder. He served at the sheriff's office while I was working with the police department, and he brought me in a he brought me in soft armor, and he said, "I'd like you to come back here next Sunday, Pastor, without you know getting shot." And so I put that on, but I would notice some of the other officers they wouldn't wear the armor, they wouldn't put on the soft armor. I'd say, "What's up with this?" And inevitably, they were usually older officers, and they they do like this. They they pull out their this medal that they have around their neck. And they say, you see this? They say, yeah, so what? They said, that's my St. Christopher medal. That's going to protect me. That's going to protect me from what? It's like, yeah, when the bullets go flying, I don't know if that's going to protect you or not. But what I want to get back to is that they were always preparing. They were always preparing. They didn't know what was ever going to happen, but they were always preparing. And as we finish out this series called The Armor, We've been, that's one of the things I've been stressing is, are we prepared? And as your pastor asking you a question, if you're here today and this is your first time, you get a pass on this. But those of us who have been here over the last six, seven weeks, as we've been listening to this series, have we been putting into practice? Are we preparing? Are we ready for when the enemy attacks? Because it's not a matter of if he's going to attack, it's when and how. He is absolutely relentless in his pursuit of you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your integrity. He wants to destroy your kids. You know the pornography industry today makes more money than Pepsi-Cola, Pizza Hut, and all those combined. And you know who their primary target is today? It is boys under the age of 8 years old. Why? Because they cannot spell. 
and they're counting on the fact that when they type something into the Google search engine, they're going to go to the wrong place. And the technology that they have goes even deeper and deeper. You can't get out of it. And anyone who's ever been involved with pornography knows the control that it has upon you. He seeks to destroy you. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy you through just, he wants to take all of the grace and mercy of God out of our lives. He wants to put into us a soul-numbing, a soul-numbing attitude to where we look at sin and it really doesn't bother us at all. And we've been told in God's word to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty strength. Why? Because the enemy will eat you for lunch if you are not armed in the power and the strength of the Lord. And he has given his armor to us so that we can be strong in the Lord because we know that the enemy, it's not a matter of if, it's when and how. And he is relentless in his pursuit of you. He's relentless in pursuit of your family. He's relentless in his pursuit of your marriage. That's why we need to be praying. Praying like crazy for our families. Praying like crazy for our marriages. Praying like crazy for those we know who are struggling. Because the enemy is relentless in his attack. We know that he attacks several areas. He begins with the truth. That's where he starts. And we're told to put on the belt of truth. He always begins with the truth, and it began all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? And he always will go after the truth, and that's why it's so important for us to know the truth. He will attack who you are in Christ. And as I've said over the last several weeks, who you are in Christ is not determined on what it is that you've done. Let me say that again. If you are a Jesus follower, if you have prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior... Who you are is not dependent on what it is that you've done. It's dependent on what Christ did at the cross for you. So that when God looks at you, he looks at you through the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ. But he will attack who you are in Christ. He will also attack the peace of God that you have and your peace with God. He will do that through fear, through anxiety, through doubt. He will also attack your faith causing you to drop your shield, as we talked about last week, causing you to drop your shield and lapsing into unbelief. God, can God really do this? Can God really work in the midst of this situation? Think about what you're walking through right now. Is God able to move in the midst of that situation? Because if he isn't, then he's not God. God is able. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's why he attacks the shield. But today, the last two pieces of the armor that we look at are some of the most vital things that we are to put on. It is the helmet of salvation, and it is the sword of the Spirit. Let me read for us what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. He says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Do you notice what it says there? It says, Take. This is the only piece. Go ahead and check me out. Go back and look at the other pieces of the armor. This is the only one that starts this way. Take. Take the helmet of salvation. Why? I think Paul is very specific in why he used that word and, and used it. Because salvation is received. It is not earned. It is not merited. It is not inherited. There are no second generation Christians. Young people listening to me, just because your parents have a relationship with Christ does not mean you get a ticket to heaven. You need to make a choice as to what it is you're going to do with Christ. There are no second-generation Christians. Jesus was asked many times, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's nothing. If there was something that we could do, then Jesus didn't need to come. 
It is for by grace that you've been saved. 2 Corinthians, 2, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. There is not a one of us, if you are a Jesus follower, there is not a one of us who is ever going to be able to stand before God and say, I'm here because of my own merit. No, you're not. You're here because of the grace of God. And even when you pray to receive Christ, it is a gift from him. As we read in Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, it says, when the love and mercy of God appeared. What is that? That's Christ. When the, love and, when the kindness and love of God appeared, it said he saved us. He saved us. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we've done, but why? Because of his mercy. It's the mercy of God. It's the mercy of God. Think about where you are at right now. God in his mercy is stretching his hand out to you. For some of you, you are just coming back to the Lord. For some of you, you're in the midst of things and you're thinking, is there any hope in the midst of this situation? There is. And it is the mercy of God that is reaching out and is drawing you back to himself. Pay attention to that. That is very, very important. It said, he saved us not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. Salvation, while it is a gift, here's your first uh, fill in the blank. We must receive it. You choose. You choose where it is that you will spend an eternity. This life isn't all that there is. Amen? Oh, man, am I glad for that. <laughs> this life isn't all that there is. You were created for eternity, and you will live in eternity in one of two places. And that place will be the place of your choosing. God is a gentleman. He will never force you to choose him. It is a gift, and a gift must be received. We choose whether or not we will receive God's gift. Why was the helmet given to the Roman soldier? The helmet was given to the Roman soldier to cover his most important part of his body, his head. If he gets hit in the head, he's rendered either incapacitated or he's dead. He's useless. In the same way, when we are presented the helmet of salvation, this is your second one, we're given, we're given that which can preserve not only our earthly life, I'll talk about that in a minute, but also our eternal life. The, the slide three, the believer, the, for the believer, the helmet is meant to protect our mind. Our mind, that's what the enemy goes after. He seeks to draw our mind away with doubt, with fear, anxiety. In addition to this, he seeks to draw our minds away from God. All sin begins in the mind. Whether it is lust, whether it is greed, whether it is anger, whether it is slander, whether it is bitterness, it all begins in the mind. That's why it's so important that our minds be stayed on Christ. Because the enemy, and if you're sleeping right now, this is a really good time to wake up. The enemy seeks to steal away the words of God in our lives. He seeks to, even now, watch this. As I'm preaching, oftentimes, what's happening in our minds? Oh, God, what have I got to do tomorrow? Are the Packers going to lay an egg like the Badgers did yesterday? I mean, well, well is Jordan Love really going to be? Ooh, uh, we got reservations for lunch today. We, I got stuff on the grill. Watch how your mind goes. Is it important that we prepare our hearts and our minds to hear what it is that God is saying? It is our salvation, or it is our, our lives are matter there. It's important. That's why we're called to put on the armor of God, because when God speaks, he's not speaking to hear himself talk. 
He's speaking because he has something important for us to, to, to hear. And that's why it's so important. That's why on Sunday mornings before you guys are ever here, I'm walking around praying and asking that in every chair over every person that God's Holy Spirit would be speaking to you very, very clearly so there's no way that you can't understand it. It's so important that we hear it because the enemy seeks to steal those things away. He seeks to kill off any seed that may germinate into faith and hope and a deeper walk with God. He seeks to destroy our minds by allowing them to be consumed with the things of this world. In short, the enemy seeks to destroy. And that's why we are called to put on the helmet of salvation. And when we put on that helmet of salvation, what are we doing? What are we saying there? We are really inviting, we are inviting the Holy Spirit to do his work of renewing in our minds. Read with me in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, let me stop there for a second. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you pray to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God's word says what? It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old is gone the new has come. Let me ask the question then. Has that, is that, does that, would that rightly mark your life? Has the old gone? Has the new come? Do you think more in the way of what Christ would have you to think, or do you think more in the way that, that you always thought, or the way of the world thought? For us to be a believer is to say, God, would you change the way in which it is that I think, the way in which I look at things, the way in which I look at people? He says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Where does God speak to us? He speaks to us through his word, but he speaks to our mind, doesn't he? And it's so important that our minds, that our minds be stayed on Christ, that our minds be centered on what God wants. See, I, I, I wonder if there isn't a culture in the church today where we come to church on Sunday morning. I remember when I first uh, moved to California, I, I worked at a steel mill, and we punched the clock. You put the card in and clunk every day. You know, we kind of, at times I wonder if in the church today, and I'm thinking, church, that we don't sometimes come in on a Sunday morning, punch the clock, sit there for a little while, and then walk out, and nothing has changed. And I wonder if that isn't a bigger part of the culture of a church today, of the church today. And I wonder, would God be wanting to shake that up a little bit? I got a hunch. Because he doesn't want us thinking like the world thinks. He doesn't want us doing that. He says in his word in John chapter 10, verse 27, he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. I was reading an article about a, about a, a shepherd boy in Syria, and he had five sheep. That's all he had. But there was a... There was a, a group of people that came in and robbed and stole a whole bunch of sheep. And finally the day came when he found out that he was told that there's a whole bunch of sheep that had been recovered from the people who had rustled the sheep. And he said, if you can identify your sheep, you can have your sheep back. 
And he came and he walked up to the guard and he told the guard, he said, I have some sheep in here that are mine. And he said, how many? He said, I have five. And the guy's looking out and there's just a, a sea of sheep. He says, well, good luck trying to find your sheep. And he says, I'll find them. And all he did was he did a little whistle and all of a sudden, boop, 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 five heads popped up and they made their way to the gate and out the door they went. The sheep knew his voice. And they, and they what? They followed, they listened to him. Do we listen to what God wants? Or do we listen to what I want? My sheep hear my voice, and they listen to me. Why is it so important that our minds be, be in, tone, in tune with what God is at? He says as well, he says, set your minds, Colossians 3, 2, he said, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. That's a choice. That's a deliberate choice to think in that way, to think along God's lines and what it is that God would have. He says in Philippians chapter 4, this one's not up on the screen, but he says, finally, brothers, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are, are right, whatsoever things are, are noble, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are admirable, whatsoever things are pure, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, he says what? Think about such things. Remember years ago, years ago, uh, Beck and I going to the Amana colonies. We had this little Ford Escort kind of, you know, putting down the road with this thing, and we are fine. We had to go on gravel, and I suppose it's all tar roads today. We had to go on gravel for quite a ways to get to the Amana colonies. On the way home, we, we get going along, and the car just kind of, <coughs> well, you say, well, it's a Ford. That's why I did that. But no, it's better than that. <laughs> so we, we, we got in, and, and a guy took us to... Um, a mechanic, we went to the mechanic, and we got, I don't know what he did, but he said, oh, he said, it's your fuel filter. I, I wouldn't have known that, but he, he said, yeah, it's your fuel filter, and he went, and he pulled the fuel filter off and just kind of clunked it on, on the table, and there was a clunk of dirt that was stuck in, in the fuel filter. He said, you just need a new fuel filter. He said, there was just some junk in the fuel filter that, that clogged everything up. Why do I say that? Because I think at times we allow things to clog up our minds. And we need to run it through that filter. And Philippians 4.8 is where that's at. Is it true? When you are filled with anxiety, when you are filled with fear, when you are filled with doubt, when you're wanting to cash it in and say, God, just forget it. Run it through the filter. Is it true? Is it right? Is it noble? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent or praiseworthy? If it's not, get rid of it. It doesn't belong there. He says, think about such things. Why? Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 8 says that those who live, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the, that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death. Now, can somebody, go, go back one slide. Can somebody be a Christian and still have their minds set on what the sinful nature desires? Yeah. I wonder if this isn't one of the things that God is also looking to change in the culture of the church today. 
that we can say that we have Christ in our hearts, but he's not the one over our minds and leading the way in which we think. He says, those who live, live uh, the sinful mind of sinful man is death. You say, well, what does that mean? Am I going to like die if I have a sinful thought? No. But watch what happens to your mind the more that you give over to that. It is soul numbing. It is soul numbing. There's a, um, I, I don't like it, but in, in Chinese food, um, there's a spice, the mala. Uh, mm, it, it's, it's a type of pepper that they, they put in a lot of stuff, and it, it, it numbs your mouth. And good Chinese people really like that, really like that, that, that mouth-numbing mouth feel. If we're not careful, when our minds are not set on what God wants, it can be mind-numbing to where we don't even give it a thought. We don't even give that thought a thought. And we just, it's just part of our life. That's what it means by the mind of sinful man is death. It leads us away from God. You know, there's something about when we make that decision that we are going to give our minds over to, to God. We see things in a, in a totally different way, don't we? Some of you in this room may, may suffer from this malady, color blindness, um, where your world is black and white and gray. We had a guy in one of our church's bank executive, and his wife laid out all of his clothes for him because he would come and he would bring his clothes out and it would be like absolutely go against one another. And his wife always laid out his clothes, laid out his tie because this all went together. And, you know, he was always sharp dresser. But you knew he didn't see any of that color. But I've seen in the last few years that there's, maybe there's been more than the last few years, but you can get glasses now to where you can see color for the first time. And watch it. Go to YouTube and watch people when they get those glasses for the first time. Almost inevitably, their reaction is what? They begin to cry. Why? Because they're seeing things for the first time that they've ever see, seen them. They see what the color red really looks like. Yesterday, as Beck and I were riding, I mean, just the wildflowers and different things that are, are out there, it was just gorgeous. What if I couldn't see those, couldn't see that color? But when we invite Christ to be the one who, who organizes our thoughts, the one who directs our thoughts, we begin to see people in a whole different way, don't we? We begin to see things in a different way where we have a judgmental heart, we begin to see, oh, I, don't, I shouldn't judge that person, but rather I should have compassion and empathy for that person. We begin to see things through God's eyes rather than our eyes. And here again, is that something that God is seeking to change in the church today? I've got a hunch. I've got a hunch. The way in which we look at people, the way in which we look at one another, the way in which we look at God's money. God's time, God's talents. It will change us. But we must make that choice to say, God, I want your mind. The mind controlled by the Spirit. That's why he says in his word, be filled with the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit. I mean, I'm getting away from myself, but let me go ahead just a bit. Because the next piece of the armor is the sword. 
The sword of the Spirit, it says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God, the, the, the Roman soldier, the sword that he had wasn't this long sword. It was rather a shorter sword. Because remember, he's holding a shield and he's got the sword in one hand. The Roman soldier was incredibly adept when he used his sword. He knew how to use it. Absolutely useless if he didn't know how to use it. But he did know how to use it. It was a powerful weapon. The sword of the Spirit, God's Word is powerful, isn't it? We read in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 5. We read that for though we, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 10, 3 to 5. <clears throat> for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, what is it? They have divine power to do what? Demolish strongholds. Next slide, please. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Did you catch what it says? What is it able to do? It's able to demolish strongholds. Think in your life. What is a stronghold in your life today? Is it unforgiveness towards somebody? Is it an addiction? Is it an overwhelming desire to succeed and to be ahead and to be the best? Is it that desire in your life that I'm going to show dad that I am, I am somebody who is worth his time and I'm going to do this in such a way that when he looks at me, he is proud of me and he will tell me that he's proud of me. Some of us, we have strongholds in our lives that have gone go way back and they're strongholds of the enemy in our lives. And God's word is able to do what? To demolish. He says, the weapons that we fight with, I like the old King James, the way it says, the weapons that we fight with are not of this world. They are mighty to the tearing down of strongholds, taking every thought into captivity, making it obedient unto Christ. So we take those thoughts into captivity, how? Run it through the filter. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. If it can't go through the filter, don't let it in. Because sometimes when we do, uh, then we're open season for the enemy. But we take every thought into captivity. The weapons that we fight with are powerful. They're able to destroy the, destroy the strongholds of the enemy. But in order to use the weapon, the sword, properly, there are several things that need to be in place in our life. For the soldier to use that sword properly... He needed to be trained, but he also had to have several things in place. For the Christian, we need to have several things in place. The first of them would be to be filled with his spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, Don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Debauchery just means anything goes. Anything you can think of, it goes. Instead, he says, be filled with the spirit. That last little bit there, it's a command. It's not a choice. Why? Because in your own strength and in your own power, you will never be able to do what it is that God wants you to do. You hear me say from time to time, what is it that we can do apart from the power of the Holy Spirit? And I often hear this, nothing. That's not true. We can do a lot. <clears throat> but it will have no lasting eternal value. And I wonder there too if that isn't a culture we find in the church today where we seek to do things apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's a command in the same way that in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Why? We cannot live the life that God desires for us apart from his spirit. We cannot minister in our own strength and in our own power. The enemy will eat you for lunch 
when we seek to do this in our own strength and in our own power. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me ask that question of us as your pastor, as your shepherd. Are we being filled daily with, the, with the God's Spirit? God, fill me with your Spirit. And be careful with that because when he does, where he resides, other things can't reside. Am I being filled with the Spirit? Am I strong in the Lord and in his mighty power? As well, not only do we need to be filled with the Spirit, we need to be yielded to the Spirit. We need to be yielded to the Holy Spirit. He says in Ephesians chapter 5, excuse me, he says, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. There's two things, grieving and quenching. What do those mean? Because he says later on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, he says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. That's to quench the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to grieve? What does it mean to quench the Holy Spirit? To grieve the Holy Spirit is to do those things that the Holy Spirit is saying, don't do. Okay, let me give you an example. So you're reading along in, in Colossians, and it says, uh, Colossians, Ephesians, and it says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is useful for building others up according to their needs. And you read that, and it says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, and it's like, ooh. And the Holy Spirit convicts you, and he says, you know, when you get with those people, what comes out of your mouth? I mean, you're just trashing this person over here and that person over there, and the stuff that's coming out of your mouth, that's, that's not good. I, I, need you to, I need you to give me your mouth and to give me the words that you say, and I need you not to do that. But when we choose to do that, even though the Holy Spirit has told us not to, it grieves him. That's to grieve. To quench the Holy Spirit. Now, do we understand the word quench? We know what that, it's not just to quench our thirst. But, you know, and I haven't done this in a long time. You got a really hot pan, ladies, and you take the pan and you stick it in the, in the cold water. Yeah, that's not good for the pan, as I've heard. That'll get you the pan <laughs> over your head if you do that. Um, but that quench, it quenches. To quench the Holy Spirit is to not do the things that he's telling you to do. Okay? Are we totally confused now? So to grieve is to do the things he's telling you not to do. To quench the Spirit. To quench the Spirit is to not do the things he's telling you to do. Okay, let me give you an example. So he says, uh, Holy Spirit's been talking to you, and you go out here and you see the, you see the, 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 uh, the ministry fair out here today. And you know what God's been speaking to you about? Putting your, putting your gifts in the game. Your talents in the game. He says, you know, I, I really would like you to, you got a talent here, you got a talent there, and I'd really like you to gift those gifts in the game. And you're like, oh, I don't have time for that. And, and you hear a message like this, and like, oh, that's the last thing I need to hear. I just don't have any time for that. And then you walk out there and you see something, and somebody says, hey, you know, I noticed in you, would you ever be, would you ever want to do something like, and the Holy Spirit's been talking to you about this. And you say, oh, wow, I just, I really don't have the time. That grieves the Holy Spirit, or that quenches the Holy Spirit, the work that he's doing in our lives. 
The last thing I would say would be to make sure that our hearts are right with God. To make sure that our hearts are right with God. That there's no, that there's no sin in our, our lives, or as much as possible there's no sin in our lives. The Roman soldier, that, that, that sword was powerful. But it's useless unless he knew how to use it. And for us, the sword is useless unless we know how to use it. We read in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that it's a powerful weapon. We read in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, we don't need to put the scriptures up here, but it's, it's not only is it powerful, but it's able to bring about salvation. As well, we read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse, 13, verse 12, he says that um, he says, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing down to the joint and to the marrow. I mean, God's word can speak. God's word is that which brings about salvation. God's word is that which speaks into hearts. You know, I've told you this story before. I had a guy in, our, in a church one time, and he came up to me afterwards, big guy. He got right in my face, and he says, my wife talked to you, didn't you? I said, what are you talking about? My wife talked to you before service, didn't she? I said, what are you talking about? He said, what you preached on today, he said, you would not have known about that had my wife not talked to you today. I said, dude, I didn't talk to your wife. He said, obviously the Holy Spirit is the one who's speaking to your heart. God's word has the power to speak right down to where we're at. On a Sunday morning, we can come in here and it's like, ooh, how did, how did he know that? I didn't know that. God knows, and God cares, and God's the one who speaks into our lives. We read in 2 Timothy 2.15, and I like the way the King James says it, do your best, or study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Do we know how to use this? this precious sword, so that when a situation comes up, he says, be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks for the hope that lies within you, but do this with gentleness and with respect. Do we know how to wield this sword? Because put in the wrong hands, I mean, Peter had a sword in his hand, and what did he do with it? Lopped off somebody's ear. I mean, we, we can have this, but if you don't know how to use it, it's not worth much. <clears throat> but knowing how to use the word of God Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Psalm 119 says, the word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And he says, how, and he says in Psalm, <clears throat> he says as well in Psalm 119, he said, how will a young man keep his way pure by living according to his word? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do we do that? How do we put God's word away in our hearts? Uh, we could have the, the slide of the app. got that one there no the slide of the app the, that one right there okay this little bugger right here <clears throat> five dollars it's nav tms and your app on your google google or on the apple site five dollars for this one of the best investments you will ever make in your life the navigators, they used to put out these little cards and you'd learn scriptures on the little cards. Now they got it on an app. You can take away words. You can have just the first letter, whatever it is. But it's amazing. It's an amazing app to have out there. $5. You can't buy it, something from McDonald's for $5.
And here you got something. People say, well, how can I put away, how can I memorize scripture? Well, I can't memorize scripture, pastor. I just can't, I just can't do it. I doubt that, seriously. How many of the Christmas carols do you know the first, the first line to? How many of you know the Pledge of Allegiance? How many of you know the National Anthem? How many of you know the Lord's Prayer? Many in this room know the Apostles' Creed. How many of you know John 3.16? We do know. And hey, if this old dog can learn Scripture and, and memorize Scripture, we, we can. And it's again, do I want to? Because it's important that we do. This, are, this is an incredible app. And I would highly urge you that if you're wanting to learn how to do this, they even have a kid's version of this, a kid's version of this app, incredibly, incredibly useful. As I finish up, as we, how, so how do we wield the sword when it comes time? And with this, I'll be done in about five minutes. So hold on with me here. So when the enemy attacks, what do I do? You don't argue. When the enemy attacks, don't argue. Don't make up excuses. Use the word of God. Whenever Jesus was tempted, what did he do? It is written, it is written, it is written. You will not last a second with an argument with the enemy. Use the word of God as the sword of the spirit because it is powerful. When you're attacked and, and the enemy comes at you and says that, that you are not, excuse me, let me get that. When the enemy comes at you and says that, uh, attacks who you are, you come back, I am a child of the Most High God. You are. John 1.12 says that for as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. That's who you are. We say as well, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, I am deeply loved by God. For how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. I am loved with an everlasting love. And God has drawn me to himself. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, says that I, you, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. I am forgiven by God. Romans chapter 4, verse 7. Blessed are those whose sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. I am sent out in the authority in the name of God. Do you realize that as believers that we can stand and that we can stand in the authority of Christ against the enemy. When I pray in the morning here, I pray very specifically, I, Lord, I come in your authority and in your name. And the enemy doesn't listen to us, but he pays attention to the authority and to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are children of the Most High God. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, therefore go. In whose authority do you go? In the authority in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we go out, we go out as well knowing that Christ is the one who lives in me. Galatians 2.20 says that I am crucified with Christ and yet not I live, but Christ lives within me. When you are attacked, especially when you are attacked for who you are in Christ, these are important things to remember. And lastly, to remember that the enemy is a defeated foe. This last scripture, Colossians 2.15, he says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them by the cross. Triumphing over them. The enemy is defeated. His days are numbered. And he's, God has triumphed over Jesus has triumphed over him at the cross. The backdrop of that verse is this. When an army was defeated, 
They would bring the generals, they would bring the kings, wherever it is, and they would bring them into the city. The conquering generals would bring them into the city, and they would lay them down in front of the king. And the generals, or even the king, would walk over the backs of these, these conquered soldiers, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Christ has triumphed over the enemy at the cross. You are children of the Most High God, and when you put the armor of God on, you stand in the armor and in the name and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the enemy's schemes. And having done all to stand, stand. Are you prepared? Because it's not if, it's when and how. In 1977, for some of you, you weren't even born in 1977. 1977, I was in high school, and my dad came up to me and said, you're going to summer camp. I said, no, I'm not. He said, yes, you are. And I, I, I'm an introvert. I don't like to be around people. I'm really shy, especially around girls. I was really shy, didn't want to be around them. And he said, no, you're going to camp. So WVCY, radio station out of Milwaukee, I mean, pretty conservative. So we, I go there. I don't know a soul. And we get on this bus, and we go all night up to Lake Vermilion, Minnesota. Beautiful place. I was totally unprepared. Totally unprepared. I'd never slept in a tent before. I'd slept in a sleeping bag, you know, on somebody's living room floor, but never outside on the ground. I'd never been in a canoe before. I mean, this was rustic. There was no lodge. I mean, we went on canoes from one island to the next. Here was the guy's island. Here was the girl's island, whatever. It was so rustic. And when I came away from that, I, I really loved it. That's where I found Christ as my Savior. I came away from there saying, I'm going next year, but I'm going to be a lot better prepared next year than I was this year. So what did I do? A week before the time, I get out my suitcase, and I pack the suitcase up, making sure because I, did, I was woefully unprepared. I didn't have the right clothes. It got really cold there at night, and I'm thinking, i got to have warmer clothes. i got to have more clothes, and I needed some toiletry items that I didn't bring. And so this year, I was going to make sure I had all the right stuff. And so I get there, and I, I, I packed it all up, shut the suitcase up, and set it over there. Day came for me to go to summer camp. I grabbed the suitcase, and away we went. Got to summer camp, got up to the camp, got into the tent, opened my suitcase up. And this aroma came to my nose. The clothes that I had gotten to put into the suitcase came from where? The dirty laundry. Yeah. Everything. Everything was dirty. For a whole week, my clothes stunk. It's like, oh, I'm already shy around girls. It's like, you know, the only time I was ever comfortable was when we were in the water. I mean, it was like, then at least you don't smell that bad. For a whole week. I got dirty clothes on. I was woefully unprepared for camp again. And you know, we can hear this message. And we can continue being woefully unprepared for what it is the enemy has for us. Or we can leave here saying, today starts a new chapter. Today I put on the armor of God. Today, I give my mind over to Christ. Today, I want to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power.
as we've been walking through this series. My deepest prayer for us has been this, that we are prepared. Because it's not a matter of if, it's when and how. And God has given us everything we need for life and godliness, hasn't he? Are we prepared? Put on the full armor of God so that we can stand against the enemy's schemes. And having done all to stand, stand. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word again today. Thank you for this series. And Father, I pray in the name and in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ over each one. Asking that, Father, your your name would be that which is lifted up in our lives. Father, I pray we, we would have our minds set on things above and not on this world. Lord, you see what's absolutely eating our lunch today. Whether it is an issue with our finances, our marriage, our kids, a health issue, whatever it might be. Maybe it's a neighbor with the barking dog or the neighbor that you just can't get along with. And God, there are things that just consume us. Consume us to the point of where all our thoughts are on that rather than on what you want. And Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that we would give those areas over to you and receive from you your peace. I pray as well that, Lord, you would do the work of demolishing strongholds that you would help us to name those strongholds in our lives, those things that we know right now what it is, but that, Lord, we would name it and we would ask you to take it. And God, I pray, I pray especially for those who come here today and they have been wrestling with a stronghold in their life for years And they have a few good weeks, they have a few good months, and then it's right back. And again, I pray that we would name it and give it over to you. And God, I pray that you would bring your word along and that your word would demolish those strongholds in our lives. And I pray that, God, we would be aware of how vulnerable we are apart from the filling of your Holy Spirit and how desperately we need to walk in the Spirit and not in our own flesh. God, I pray. I pray for your blessing over this precious flock, those who hear this voice over the Internet. I pray that, God, you would do a work like none you have ever done in our lives that you'd set us free. That you would return sight to the blind. That you would proclaim the day of the Lord over us. God in heaven, I pray. I pray for the protection of the blood of Christ over each and every heart, over each and every mind, over marriages, over relationships and families with parents and kids. 
I just pray, God, for the protection of the blood of Christ to be over us. And I pray that, God, you would do a renewing work in our hearts and our minds that only you can. And I pray all this, God, to the glory of your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, next week we start a new series. We're going to be looking at, at the life of Joseph, and we're going to be uh, with Joseph till probably pretty close to uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, so it's going to be a longer series, a really good series. Uh, Pastor Sam's going to preach in the midst of that series a little bit. Pastor Jim's going to preach in the midst of that series as well. And I'm really, really looking forward to it. It's a family series. Hear me out now. It's a family series, but there are lots of things that those of you who are single can really take away from it. So I really encourage you to be here for that and to get a lot out of that as well. May the Lord bless you. May he cover you and may he cover your mind. May you know how deeply you are loved in him. And may the peace of Christ wash over you again and again throughout this week. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you next week. Have a great week.